inventors and their inventions. Welcome to Radio Cade, a podcast from the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention in Gainesville, Florida. The museum is named after James Robert Cade, who invented Gatorade in 1965. My name is Richard Miles. We'll introduce you to inventors and the things that motivate them. We'll learn about their personal stories, how their inventions work, and how their ideas get from the laboratory to the marketplace. Traveling at the speed of light, right from the comfort of your own keyboard. Is that the future of computing? I'm your host, Richard Miles. My guest today is Roger Tipton, CEO of Path Optical Systems, which has developed optical interconnects to replace copper wires on computer chips. Welcome to Radio Cade, Roger. Hi, how are you? Uh, so I'm going to start with a really basic question. What on earth is an optical interconnect? What does it do? What it does is it connects different components on a PCB board. So if you've got to get information from the processor to the hard drive or from memory or wherever that information has to travel, that's an interconnect. And most of them are copper interconnects at this point. Okay. So if I could actually look at the chips, if I had the ability to do that, all those connections are being made by essentially tiny copper wires right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you can actually see it on the green PCB. CB board that's inside, there'll be little copper traces running everywhere. So your technology in place of those copper wires, it's actually flashes of light? Yeah, that is actually how it works. And and I think a good analogy of this is if you remember dial-up internet, Mm -hmm. um, that was on copper wires from your phone line. And they replaced that with fiber optic cables. And that is the exact same technology and some similar materials. And that just sped everything up. That allowed Netflix and YouTube and videos and downloading and all the amazing things we have. And we're bringing that same exact technology to your phone or your server or your laptop. And those are the kind of speed increases that we will see on those devices with these new interconnects. Roger, tell me, is the reason it hasn't been done already? What was holding that back? Was there a technical or physical reason why? Because fiber optics have been around a while, right? Yeah, 30, 40 years. And really, it's 3D printing has allowed this new technology. 3D printing is opening up all kinds of opportunities and all kinds of new things. And I think we were the first to apply 3D printing to this challenge. And so I think that's why we're first. So this will make computing faster, but like how much faster? And then is it a degree of magnitude that your average user is going to notice right away? Or is this just something that tech nerds are going to get excited about, but your average consumer is not going to really know? It is actually going to be a huge difference. We're looking at like seven times faster. Mm -hmm. You can just get so much more information through these. And as we think of big data now, and we have smart cars, so... If you can get data transferred faster from the sensor on your smart car and your Tesla to the computer, it can process that information faster and mean it's safer. And they take less power is another thing that is going to be a huge difference. They put server farms in the Arctic and underwater and things like that to keep them cool. And that's because you have all this electrons moving on copper wires and generating heat. Well, that all goes away. So it's not just going to be faster computers. It's going to be less power required computers and less heat generated computers. There's kind of a knock on of all different kinds of cool things. I thought I understood this, but now I'm I'm getting really excited about it. I mean, this sounds like one of those enabling technologies, right? Sort of like the internal combustion engine and that it enabled all sorts of different sectors to do different things or better things or or faster things because this is coming along at the same time. And, And you tell me, is this contingent upon something like a 5G 
network or the speed at which 5G gets introduced doesn't really affect this development? Or are they both related? How does that work? I think they're complementary. You have 5G, this is wireless between devices that are not connected. And then once it gets inside the device, we're talking about the speed inside the device. So it's just going to make things faster. So our devices are faster and they use less power. Have you done any mind experiments in terms of the types of applications? What will people start doing with faster devices that don't need as much battery power? As we look at your watch is a wearable device and we look at all these healthcare applications where it's about battery life. And if you have pacemakers inside your heart and you have to go in and change things or you can maybe detach wearables from battery life issues, that's a pretty awesome yeah, application. Yeah, pretty exciting. So information technology is one of those industries that is pretty competitive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and usually when you have this breakthrough, like you described 3D printing, making all these things available, usually there's some other person out there that has thought of something very similar. Tell me what the competitive landscape looks like. Are, are other people now starting to do this as well? And if so, you know what sort of advantage or lead do you have over those other people? MIT and IBM actually built the world's first fully optical computer a few years ago. And they didn't have this 3D printing technology. And so they built this incredibly fast computer. I mean, it is just mind-bogglingly fast, except it's as big as a house. <laughs> okay. And it's kind of that same computers in the 50s and 60s right. used to be huge. And right. they've- So very capable, but not practical for a normal consumer or even a normal business, right? Right, right. And they came back and said, okay, when the next bit of technology comes along, we'll come back. And how do we shrink this and shrink this and shrink this? Uh, as far as I know, we are the first to do this. And it's kind of exciting and scary. And now that we've got our patent filed and we've built a functioning marketing prototype, we're kind of coming to the, the market in the world. And that's kind of exciting about like the Cade Prize and things like that. We're kind of publicizing all of a sudden what's happening. Good. So we're going to find out. Good point. And I neglected to congratulate you and your team for making it to the finals of the 2019 Cade Prize. So uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we had a lot of very good entries this year and, and yours was clearly one of the very best. Tell me about the company at this point. Who's a member of it? What are your next steps? Are you are you looking to stay the CEO? Are you looking for outside management? And then where are you in terms of investment? We formed a company last year. We filed our patent this year. Two co-founders at, at this point, uh, myself and Venkat Bethnabola. He is a professor at the University of South Florida. We're at the functional prototype stage. And we're actually looking at the end of the year to have prototype boards that are completely optical and ready to go to market for testing and evaluation. So we're kind of very early. NASA has given us a little bit of money. We've generated some interest from uh, Harris on a proposal and Cisco Systems is kind of involved. Uh, Their customer research lab is kind of involved with us. And we made our first EC. Uh, We asked for no money. We just kind of pitched and said, okay, this is kind of what the technology looks like. And immediately the phone started ringing and the emails and it's been a bit crazy. It's it's early days. We think we're six months away from actually going out and taking that next step, but it's kind of awesome. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your experience, that first experience with the, the venture capitals. And, and the reason I ask is uh, when we when we started the Cade Prize a few years ago, or actually 10 years ago now, and we started recruiting VCs as some of our judges, and we were always really surprised. We would read the application and go, this is just 
wonderful. What a great technology. This is going to change the world. And those steely-eyed, cold-hearted VCs would look at it and go, eh, and they'd tell you five problems with it and why it wasn't really that big a deal and how it wasn't going to change the world. And I just remember thinking, like, I would be crushed if I were the inventor and I had this guy telling me, you know, or a woman telling me, like, yeah, it's not that big a deal and other people doing the same thing. What was that like? Was that terrifying? Was it inspirational? How did that go? Yeah, it was at the early stage Florida Ventures Forum in Orlando just two weeks ago, I think now. And we had judges and I was up on stage and we made our pitch and the judges were like, yeah, okay, or whatever. And then the moment I stepped off the stage, there was a VC standing there going, okay, we have to talk. We have to talk. Well, that's generally a good sign that the VC is pursuing you rather than yes. the way around. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. you yes. cleared your first hurdle. That's good. Yeah. Uh, I didn't ask for any money. And I think that uh-huh. kind of threw people off too. That kind of made me uh, a bit of a challenge. I think that was kind of interesting for them that they asked me, well, how much money do you want? I said, well, nothing. We don't need it yet. And they're like, oh, well, now. You described for me the patent arrangements and your initial steps. Is this something that you envision staying on a CEO? Because a lot of times the, the model is the original founder, inventor will get it going and then they'll bring in other management and they keep doing other research or stay in technical capacity. Is that something you see yourself doing for the midterm or long term? I think we've got an interesting product, an interesting bit of technology, and I think it's going to take a lot of resources and a lot of talent. And I want to do what's best for the technology Mm -hmm. to get it out there. And that's probably bringing in a professional management team and money and, and the things to do it right. I'm excited and I want to do my part, but we need the pros, I think. Right. Well, you're already ahead of a lot of inventors because we see a lot of types of inventors and the ones that generally have the most difficulty are the ones that they thought of this beautiful idea and they are in love with their beautiful idea and they, they cannot let it go. Roger, tell me a little bit about your background. I know you live in Wesley Chapel now, just north of Tampa, but are you from Florida? Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? I'm from Ohio. Okay. And started off in small town, went to Ohio State, started working in Cleveland, and just eventually the weather just took it out of me, and uh, like a lot of people up north. It's amazing how many people come to Florida for the weather, so... I know, it's fantastic. So uh, I had relocated down here about four years ago. Same time I came back and started working my PhD at the University of South Florida. And that's been the the launch pad for this stuff we created in the lab there. Uh, Roger, what were you like as a kid? Were you a really good student in school, top of the class in science and math? or I was the kid that was out playing and sports and outside all day long. And I had a great professor in high school. It was CAD and shop class where we designed things and made them. And this that, is in high school? This is in high school. Okay. And that's kind of where it kicked off. I hate to say it's that shop class guy that right. was making stuff. And that kind of was the genesis of some of this engineering that I, I went on to become a material science and engineer oh, okay. at Ohio State. And then Honda and Rubbermaid, little tykes professionally, eventually ended up back in school down right. here. And Did you ever tell that teacher that they were sort of an inspiration? You know, this is this is one thing teachers <laughs> love to hear, right? Somebody comes back 20 years later and goes, it's all because of you. I need to do that. I absolutely <laughs> need to do that. That is fantastic. I didn't think of that until we just started talking about it here. Right. But. And what about the entrepreneurial side? I mean, were you the first kid on the block with a lemonade stand? Or did you ever have any interest in business until the development of, of this technology? I'm actually a bit of a, an entrepreneur. I've had three companies oh. before this. I kind of fell into being an entrepreneur. Um, company was closed and went to China and was like, okay, I can do something on my own and not get laid off and fired. It was this was an Ohio company? Yeah, or? yeah, okay, yeah. All right. 
I've had three companies. Uh, I sold one down here to a local company. You know, I've had two fail. So that's kind of gives me a good perspective on it's okay to fail and try and learn and do better next time and, and that kind of stuff. So. Right. Does this run in the family? Did either of your parents, were they either in the business world or in the, in the science world at all? Or what did they do for a living? My mother is a bit of an inspiration. The fact that she went to nursing school in her 40s. She went back and she wasn't afraid to change and do something new and different. Mm -hmm. And I think part of my entrepreneurial spirits from, you know, it's never too late or too big of a challenge. You just go and try and it's okay. Right. Interesting you say that. I've talked to a number of entrepreneurs and often their parents were in the business world. And sometimes one of the most inspirational examples or certainly ones they remember, not when their parents succeeded, but when their parents failed and how their parents dealt with that and came back from either business being shuttered or whatever. And that's kind of like what you said, this experience from failure is often much more formative and instructive right. than a success. And going forward, do you have other ideas that you can talk about on the horizon or for other directions, other technologies that we need to get in on the ground floor? Or I guess you couldn't tell me, right? Because we go off and patent them, right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't think this is the end. I, mm-hmm. I think this is just another exciting chapter. Well, I already mentioned on another show recently that a few days ago, one of our previous prize winners from 2013, a company called Nanophotonica, just got a $3.5 million investment from Samsung. So we're hoping to see your company do well, and hopefully in less than seven years. <laughs> took them a while, but they're doing quite well. But that has often happened with the companies that we see take part in the Kid Prize, is that, that the quality of the idea is really good. It's not immediately rewarded often, but after a few years, they get some traction. Roger, again, congratulations on making the Kid prize final four i wish you the best of luck it's exciting and thank you for the opportunity i can't wait to find out the winners tonight great i'm richard miles radio cade would like to thank the following people for their help and support liz gist of the cade museum for coordinating inventor interviews bob mcpeak of heartwood soundstage in downtown gainesville florida for recording editing and production of the podcasts and music theme Tracy Collins for the composition and performance of the Radio K theme song featuring violinist Jacob Lawson. And special thanks to the Cade Museum for Creativity and Invention, located in Gainesville, Florida.